today on Ag News Daily. Have a plan for any positions that may be in the money because you don't want to wake up to a margin surprise come Monday if some of your positions did expire in the money and you've got to sign some futures contracts. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I am flying solo today. Mike is taking today and tomorrow off, so today it's just me, but tomorrow I'm very excited to have on a fellow farm broadcaster, Lori Boyer, who works for an ag radio station in Colorado, and she's also just been newly inducted as the National Association of Farm Broadcasters president, so... Lori will be on with me tomorrow, giving us an interesting update and a perspective from her part of the country. But let's hop into some news for today. And folks, it is a shortened week this week with Thanksgiving, of course, on Thursday. Mike and I probably won't do a podcast on Friday. I for sure will not be on the podcast. I don't know if Mike wants to do one solo, but um, I'm heading to the Iowa-Nebraska game. I'm sure we've got some Iowa or Nebraska fans that listen to the podcast so that's where I'll be on this Friday but like I said Wednesday Monday through Wednesday we are going to have a normal Ag News Daily podcast so hopping over to look at the news for today we've got a little bit of news here about the farm bill which rumors were circulating end of last week that we might see a farm bill this this week Um, or at least some final framework before folks head into Thanksgiving break. However, I'm still a little apprehensive if we will see a a final farm bill or not before the December recess. Farm bill negotiators are struggling to work out deals on forestry regulations, commodity program eligibility rules, SNAP requirements, but House Agriculture Chairman Mike Conaway said on Friday that we're getting close and momentum is building to get this done, so I'm encouraged. So it seems that work requirements for SNAP and other supplemental nutrition programs will not be changed. Food stamp recipients and their work requirements will probably likely not be changed. But really, uh, the committee itself, the conference committee itself, said they're working really hard. They want to get this done. They've had their aides and their offices working on it round the clock here. I don't know, though. I'm still, I'm still pretty apprehensive. That uh, is going to be a tight order to get that all said and done. But then again, you know, you think they're going to take forever on something or they have been taking forever on some piece of legislation or bill or whatever. And then, boom, it's just done all of a sudden. So that could happen in this case as well. But we will keep you updated as we kind of learn more about what's going on in D.C. We've also got some progress here on trade talks with China President Trump and President Xi are meeting really here just in two short weeks at the G20 summit in Argentina. And President Trump said that they have received China's list of things that they're willing to do. And now the U.S. has sent over our list of demands, 142 demands to be exact, to China. And China has responded. So Trump said, quote, hopefully we'll make a deal. And if we don't, we're doing very well just the way it is. We have Tariffs coming in on $250, $250 billion worth of goods. So I think if things don't go well at this November meeting, the plan is to put that next round of tariffs in at the beginning of this next this next calendar year. While we're talking about trade in China, let's talk a little bit here about the farmer assistance bailout package. It's unclear yet, according to sources 
that if the Trump administration will agree to boost farmer payments for this next second tranche here, however, they're they're working diligently on it right now, trying to evaluate, trying to figure out uh, if farmers need it. They, of course, didn't consider regional basis disruptions when they originally calculated those first tranche of payments, and now that's what lawmakers are looking at, and especially lawmakers from the upper Midwest are pressuring the Trump administration to do so as it prepares the second tranche, which is expected to be unveiled here in early December, so really just two short weeks away, we could see that roll out. It's unclear, like I said, what we're really going to get or what we're really going to see in all of this, but it sounds like the administration is working on that. When we're looking at other news related to China and uh, some disputes China is having with other countries, they are starting an anti-dumping investigation on imports of Australian barley and wheat. And that one-year probe is going to start today on Monday and could extend until May of 2020, according to the Ministry of Commerce's website. China claims that Australia's barley is being sold at lower than normal prices, and China's domestic industry has suffered a result, as a result of this cheap supply. China is Australia's biggest buyer of barley, purchasing about $1.28 billion worth of the commodity last year. But they said this investigation is needed to happen because of all of this going on. However, I thought this was one interesting piece of the puzzle. China basically issued this anti-veiling, anti-dumping investigation just on the heels of Australia uh, basically coming forth and saying that the U.S. and Australia have decided to jointly redevelop a naval base in Papua New Guinea. And almost immediately, China said, you know, nope, we're going to do this anti-dumping countermeasure against Australia. Seems very much like a political move, seeing how that happened right after Australia agreed to do this with the U.S. So there's definitely still a little bit of showboating going around here, but hopefully something comes of this G20 summit. Other trade news going on today is recently we had the deal unveiled for Britain to exit the European Union, and as part of this deal, it would essentially block U.S. plans to negotiate a free trade agreement with the U.K., so that's going to prevent us from opening kind of a newer market here, according to several British officials. The plan announced by Prime Minister Theresa May would essentially keep the U.K. beholden to all of the tariffs and customs, phytosanitary, sanitary, and scientific regulations that the U.S was hoping to see removed and as part of this deal they've basically agreed I guess not to do this or uh, not to change some of those regulations so it says to be clear we would not be able to control our own regulations and we would not be able to control our own tariffs and therefore we would not be able to do any free trade and that's according to British politician David Davis who works for Britain's Institute of Economic Affairs It sounds like here it's not going to be the best deal for the U.S. And um, we're not going to see pork or beef or chicken, poultry, 
exported into the UK. So that was one of the things, meat I think was a big thing that President Trump and uh, those in ag were really hoping to get into the UK. It doesn't sound like that's going to be happening anytime soon. When we look at other meat-related news, we've got some news here on the cell-cultured meat front. The Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration are going to officially share regulatory oversight of cell-cultured meat products, and that was according to a statement made by Sonny Perdue and FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb just today. They've had a very lengthy debate, as many of you know, and we've been watching it here closely on the podcast trying to figure out how to best split that regulatory framework, but it looks like a a statement here made by, in the joint statement made by Purdue and Gottlieb, they said, quote, this regulatory framework will leverage both the FDA's experience regulating cell culture technology and living biosystems and the USDA's expertise in regulating livestock and poultry products for human consumption. USDA and FDA are confident that this regulatory framework can be successfully implemented and assure the safety of those products. So it sounds like the FDA will oversee cell collection, cell banks, cell growth and differentiation. And once the process transitions over to the harvest stage, oversight will switch to the USDA. The production and labeling of food and products derived from the cells of livestock and poultry will also be switched over or which will also be supervised basically by the USDA. So they're going to actively work together here to, I guess, regulate cell cultured technology and technology meets as moving forward. In other news related to DC, as we know, Andrew Wheeler has been acting as the head of the EPA, but he has now been officially nominated to head the EPA by President Trump. He was officially nominated here just, I believe, today or over the weekend. So I think he now has to go through the same kind of setup as some of the other regulators and folks in D.C. I believe he has to go through an official hearing and confirmation process. But that now is kind of on the roll here, and we'll see if that gets confirmed. I don't see what what any issues would be for that, but that's also going on as well. As we continue to look at some of those nasty wildfires in California, President Trump was there over the weekend doing a boots on the ground perspective and he took stock of the charred livestock or charred landscape, excuse me, in California this week and pointed to rapid movement in farm bill talks and repeatedly referenced that new forest management funds are going to be in the bill, even though as we know that is one of the main issues at this point still holding up discussions from moving it forward into a vote but President Trump said that or promised I should say that about 500 million dollars in the farm bill is going to be allocated for forest management and stressed the importance of working with the environmental groups to improve forest maintenance he said in the farm bill we're putting in quite a bit of money about 500 million dollars and the Farm Bill for Management and Maintenance of the Forests Beyond This Area. So that will be on the Farm Bill. He said, well, we just put it in. The Farm Bill is moving along pretty rapidly for our great farmers, but we have a few categories, and that's management and maintenance of the forest. It's very important. So seeing that move along as well, trying to see if there's any other news for today. I don't think there is. So let's hop over and look at the markets for today, although... 
it really has not been very pretty. Talking to Brian Grossman here in just a moment for today's Market Monday episode, let's take a look at where the markets left us. And of course, those markets are sponsored by the Zaner Group, which Brian is a part of that team over there. They've got a lot of great analysts, a lot of smart folks working in their ag department. But if you want to buy, sell, or trade any other commodities, they have folks that can help do it all for you. But if you just want to look at a protection program, give them a call today at 312-277-0050 and tell them, of course, that you heard it on Ag News Daily. Really not looking pretty today across the screens. The corn market probably took the least amount of hit today compared to the other grains. The December corn contract finished down two cents at 362 and three quarters, while the March gave up two and a half cents at 373 and a quarter. Soybeans, yikes, giving up a lot of what they've put on here slowly over the past couple of weeks. The January contract down 18 and a quarter cent to close at 874 even, while the March gave up 18 cents as well. To end at 887 and three quarters. The wheat pit was not untouched today as the December contract lost eight and three quarters cents to end at 498 even, and the March closed down eight and three quarters to close at 506 and a half. Hopping over into the livestock pits, we actually saw some positive on the screen across the livestock pits today. The December live cattle contract up 80 cents to close at 116.15 while the February up 27.5 to close at 120 even. Hopping over into the feeder cattle pits, the January contract up 75 cents to close at 147.27.5, while the March up 35 to close at 144.32.5. Hopping over into the lean hog pits, the December contract up 95 cents today to close at 61.02, while the February up $2.27.5 to close at 69.02.5. And rounding out the day with the dairy contracts, the November contract down three cents to close at 14.55, while the December down 18 cents to close at 14.66. With that, I'm going to turn it over here to my conversation with Brian Grossman to see what was moving these markets on today's Market Monday episode. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber. All right, for today's Market Monday, as I mentioned, we've got on the line Brian Grossman, who is a market strategist for Zaner Ag Hedge over there in Chicago. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's a Monday. Market's not quite feeling the same amount of love, but no. like I said, it's a Monday. <laughs> it is, and we've got a shortened week this week, Brian, with the holidays. Tell folks that do trade pretty actively, I assume most of them should know, but if folks are out in the fields this week or whatnot trying to make some, some sales when are the markets open and when are they closed for the holidays? So we have normal trading tomorrow and Wednesday, but the Wednesday close normal at the 120 time frame. We then have no night session markets are closed all the way through Thursday. And then the grain markets get restarted again at 830 on Friday. But Friday is a shortened trading day. Markets closing again at 1205. And Friday is option expiration for the December contracts. Oh yeah, perfect. What should what should producers be thinking in mind then with the uh, expiration coming on Friday? 
Well, they're going to want to be looking through their statements, uh, making sure that they have, um, you know, have a plan for any positions that may be in the money because you don't want to wake up to a margin surprise come Monday if some of your positions did expire in the money and you got to sign some futures contracts. All right. Brian, I want to start today with soybeans. Holy cow, down 18.5 cents in the January. It feels like we had slowly been making some gains here, putting some prices back on the board. What happened today? So it's actually what happened this weekend. There was an economic summit going on where Vice President Pence was attending as well as the president of China, and they were doing some negotiation trying to get an outline for some type of an agreement at the G20 summit. However, they found very little success in trying to find any kind of an agreement and ultimately left it without even agreeing on the wording of some kind of a rough draft. So over the last couple of weeks, We've been building a lot of anticipation into the market that we should get something of benefit out of that G20 summit. But now that it looks like trade relations kind of fell apart again here this weekend, we are seeing a lot of that optimism getting pulled back out. And like you said, down 18 and a half in the Jan beans. That was a rough day with a lot of traders fearful of what next week may not uh, develop into. Brian, I feel like it's almost feeling like a broken record here. We keep talking about this China trade framework or this deal or somebody makes a tweet or a comment or whatever, and then the markets instantly react. Is there anything that producers can be doing to protect themselves from this roller coaster ride that we're kind of on right now? So the best thing for the roller coaster as a producer is to be trying to take advantage of when it looks like we're up near the top of that range. Because like you said, up and down, up and down every day based off of news flashes and then somebody is taking back what they supposedly said. So really, we got to stop trying to predict what the future is going to bring, and we got to be looking at the numbers. And if these numbers are working, at the end of the day, whether we get a trade agreement or not, it's not going to cure the massive supply of soybeans that we still have. And that's really the bottom line for what producers need to be looking for. Absolutely. Brian, if we do get a trade, I guess I have a two-part question. I'll I'll take it one question at a time here. I'm going to ask you to predict the future a little bit for me. If we do have a positive meeting here at the G20 summit, maybe some sort of framework comes out of it or somebody tweets something or whatever, there's some news story. How much do you anticipate to see the soybean markets rally off of that news? Uh, depending as to who they say and how it's worded, I would not put a limit move in the upward wow. direction out of question. I think it's very possible, especially if it's a, a very positive sounding We'll just go with a tweet and assume that it's President (laughs) Trump that sends it out. Soybeans could react pretty violently. We've seen, you know, just minor stories push soybeans 30 cents. Now, if we would have a big announcement at the G20, 60 cents isn't that much further away. Yeah. And 60 cents is the limit in beans? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. I couldn't remember if it was 50 or 60. That, geez, that's going to be a huge move for producers. Is that going to be a one-day rally and then the next day you think we'll pull back from that? So producers should be watching to take advantage of that that day? Or do you think they have maybe a couple of days to make some, make some choices? I would be uh, very hesitant 
to not be getting it done on that day because it is going to be an emotionally charged rally or sell-off. So in either case, it's going to be entirely emotion-driven. I highly doubt they're actually going to sign any official agreement there. So, uh, you know, it's just going to be optimism or lack of optimism. And ultimately, like I said earlier, we still got the large inventory that Mm -hmm. is the real problem for our producers. So... I'd be prepared to have uh, have sales have a sale position ready to go if you are feeling optimistic and uh, need to be moving bushels before the end of the new year. Okay, let me counter that by asking you, Brian, if they don't have a deal in place, let's say there's some negative news that comes out of this meeting, how much are we going to lose that day? Unfortunately, I think the 60 cent number would be another realistic mm-hmm. um probability there, especially if it would come out that trade relations completely broke down, they're no longer talking to each other. Because we got to remember, President Trump did give China a bit of an ultimatum, deal or no deal. If it's no deal, the next round of tariffs are coming. So we really have China kind of backed into a corner, and there's going to be a lot of moving parts, especially if it breaks down in a spectacular type of way. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, I want to ask about inventory now because you keep mentioning this and a lot of analysts are saying a billion, a billion plus. If we get some sort of framework or we get a deal put in place with China, are we going to be able to cut through some of this supply even with exports being where they're at today? Or are we kind of stuck at this billion bushel carryover? So if we got a deal done at the G20 summit, I my gut tells me it'd be a very, very good deal because that would mean that uh, China gave in. And ultimately, I don't think President Trump is going to be the one that's going to blink this early in the game yet. So if it does happen, I think it'd be very favorable to us to put a number on it. Very hard to say, but ultimately that should help bring our ending stock number down. Problem is it's still likely going to be a record number, not only in the value, but also on a stocks to use ratio. Hmm. All right. Brian, let's uh, talk corn for a second here. Hovering in this tight range, trending sideways pattern in the corn markets, how are we going to break out of this or what's it going to take? Boy, you know, we may very well see a pattern just like we saw last year where we chop around in that 355 to 385 range and You know, the next big uh, aspect for the corn market is going to be South American weather. And as of right now, we don't have anything to really talk about for a uh, bullish factor coming out of South America. Exports are remaining strong, but without a weather problem, I don't know if we're going to be able to break out of this range until we start talking about acreage here in the U.S. again. Brian, let's talk about acreage then. What are your, uh, what are you and what are the Zaner Group thinking for acreage estimates here for 2019? I'm in the camp right around that 92, 92 and a half million acres for corn. I know there's some people out there that are as high as 95 to 97 million acres, and I just don't think we're going to see that dramatic of a shift. One, I think a lot of producers are still going to remain optimistic that even if we don't get a trade deal here this winter, we would get some kind of an agreement by the time next year's crop is coming in. But the other thing, too, is a lot of producers are going to be limited based off of their rotation. And through the wild markets we've seen over the last couple of years, we've really learned that a lot of the key producing states like the I-States tend to not change their rotation all that much. 
So if we're going to be looking for a big shift in acres, I think it's going to have to come out of the Dakotas, Minnesota, and uh, you know, down into Nebraska and Kansas. If we see 92, 93 million, that's not a huge shift in acres. Is that going to put a bearish spin on the market, or is that still going to be within a range that makes sense and not going to give us a huge corn crop for 2019? Under the assumption that we're not going to grow the fourth crop in a row that's a record, <laughs> I don't think that that is going to really impact the corn market. Given the current demand rate that we have, we almost need to have that many acres, or if it falls in short, we're going to be begging for another record crop in order to keep that demand uh, up to par. But uh, I don't know, next year is going to be really interesting. Can we see another massive crop after what we've seen the last few years? And if we do stumble, even, you know, say a 175 national average yield is by all, you know, all sense a very good crop yet, but that would not be enough to satisfy our demand. Mm, absolutely. What about when you look at acreage for wheat? Let's talk, I mean, you're a Dakota boy, North and South Dakota. Are they going to switch any acres over to wheat from soybeans or corn? I almost feel like North Dakota has to see a pretty dramatic shift in the winter, in the spring wheat acres. And I actually wrote an article about that here a couple of weeks ago where I won't be surprised if we see spring wheat actually pick up a million to a mm. million and a half, which is very concerning for the spring wheat market. But if you look around, talk to people up in the Dakotas, Minnesota, they are piling grain anywhere that they possibly can. Basis is just so unbelievably poor. A lot of guys cannot make the current soybean prices work. Mm. Brian, when you look at spring wheat versus hard red winter wheat, why are we seeing a spread going on right now between those two contracts in the December? So the hard red winter wheat, its exports simply are poor. Um, Week after week after week, that market just cannot get enough in the sales. And a lot of that is competition coming from uh, the Soviet or former Soviet Union region. I was a little optimistic that we would start to see that pick up, given that the European Union is having some problems with their winter wheat. Australia is awfully dry. And even Argentina is running into some harvest problems. But so far, we have not seen that pick up, where spring wheat, on the other hand, is doing quite well for exports, slightly behind last year's pace, but by such a small amount, it's really insignificant and impressive enough as it is, spring wheat is actually maintaining its pace without having China as one of its top five buyers, which typically China is in that category. So the demand for spring wheat has been exceptionally strong given the current trade, the winter wheat is just where I'm really concerned and trying to balance lack of trade with the amount of talk that the acreage is not there this winter. Mm. And and a little bit of planting delays. Are we seeing that take a, its toll in the hard red winter wheat contracts as well? Yes. Yeah, so you can't see it if you look at the board. You sure would not think there are planting delays, but for the vast majority of the winter wheat area, we are now past the insurance deadline, which doesn't mean you can't plant it anymore, but historically yields tend to taper off once we cross that timeline. So that is going to limit any further planting as for what guys were hoping to do versus what they actually got done. And uh, you look at the weather, I don't think they're going to have a real good window here in the next few days to sneak in a few more acres. Mm, so I might see some acres transition there for sure, sounds like. Mm-hmm, Yes. 
Brian, what about the cotton markets? You're kind of our cotton expert. Uh, what's going on there? I've been surprised by really the softness in the cotton market when you consider all of the weather and condition concerns we've been having. It just hasn't added any support. Yeah, and those are the fun highlights that we like to talk about, you know. The Georgia crop was devastated. Texas was dry, and now it just rains, rains, rains. But we're not, you know, looking at the whole picture of it. If you look back to the last WASD report, the USDA lowered harvestable acreage. They lowered the yield, but we also saw a reduction in export demand. And I think that is going to be the biggest problem for the cotton market going forward. If we don't have a trade agreement, that means we continue to have the global economy at risk of slowing down. And with the major sell-off in the crude oil market as well, we now have petroleum-based fibers that are price competitive with cotton. So even though we have much lower production and the guys out there are battling through it, the demand or falling demand is a much greater concern than falling production. Let's talk about oil just for a second because we don't necessarily always talk about that on Market Mondays, but I think it's relevant that we should. We've, we were on this upward climb and now we've dropped, what, I think 67 days. We were there pretty, going pretty well for 67, I might not quite be exactly right, but pulled back quite a bit. What's going on in the oil market? Do you think that was just a short-term correction or are we headed further downward? Oh boy, you know, that is hard to say. Oil is a major political hot potato right now. There's always the relations with the United States versus Saudi Arabia, as well as the ongoing Iran sanctions and waivers that are going out. But um, we also have recently seen President Trump get much more involved. He earlier was encouraging Saudi Arabia to increase their production to keep prices back down. And he is all in favor of having lower crude oil prices, but there is more concern starting to grow in the OPEC group that prices are now getting too low and they may need to try to stabilize that market. So the big sell-off really did just take us down to trend line support, you know, we blew through all the major moving averages and felt like we were in a free fall, but we were able to bounce right around that uh, key trend line support and today a big reversal in crude oil, attempting to go lower now, trading 90 cents higher. Jeez. Mm. Okay, the last thing I want to ask you about, Brian, is we're going to skip over uh, cattle, live cattle, feeder cattle, and go straight to hogs because they had a limit up close on Friday, the February today. Not limit up, but definitely put on some strength on the board. What's going on in the hog markets? So, you know, one thing that I always point to is we know that China is having problems with their swine fever. Mm -hmm. And while they may try to make it sound like they have it under control, I always question how uh, how truthful that statement actually is. So we have the idea that we could be losing a large portion of um, pork production in the world. But um, I was very uh, impressed with the uh, hog market here today being able to hold its strength given how soybeans came under pressure from poor U.S.-China trade talks. I felt like the hog market would do so as well, but making new contract highs here today, I think the uh, falling global production for the moment is a little bit more of a concern than anything else. All right. Brian, before I let you go, how can folks get a hold of you if they have questions or maybe want to work with you? Yeah, you can reach me directly at 
277-0119. But I'm also very active on social media. So you can find me on Twitter and Facebook under the handle of AgHedgeBrian. I post quite a bit of information on there as well as screenshots of what the markets are doing. So feel free to check those pages out as well. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for breaking down the markets today. You bet. Thanks for having me, Delaney. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Brian Grossman and all of the guys over at the Zaner Group. They're great. We love having them on Market Monday. But tomorrow we're going to be back. I'm going to be back with Lori Boyer, a farm broadcaster from Colorado. We're going to talk technology and agriculture and other news impacting the world of agriculture. But if you have questions, comments, concerns, would you... Or would you like to be interviewed on the Ag News Daily podcast or be a co-host with myself or Mike? We could do a little little joint session here. Find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Ag News Daily. You can also follow along with us and all of the other podcasts on the Global Ag Network by searching for at Global Ag Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat for those of you that Snapchat out there. Um, otherwise, you can head to globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily to listen to any of our past podcasts or interact with any of the podcasts on the Global Ag Network. With that, I hope everybody has a great Monday, and I'll see you all back here tomorrow. 